This week on George Fox Talks, we are bringing you a chapel sermon by Show Baraka. This was filmed live in front of an audience of our students here at George Fox University. We hope you enjoy. It is, it is a pleasure to be here. I've been here since Monday and uh, doing a lot. Got to meet a lot of people. And it's, uh, it, this is a wonderful institution. I, I got saved on a college campus, so I know how these times are pivotal and important. And so, there we go, let me move that a little bit. Um, but I will say, on my way here this morning, I encountered something pretty strange. I saw two individuals arguing in, in deeply about where God went to school. It was an alumnus of this wonderful institution and an alumnus of Linwood or Linfield. Well, I don't even, it's not even, I don't even need to get their name correctly. And so they prayed and they were like, well, let's talk to him. Let's see what he said. And so the young lady from George Fox was like, all right, let's do it. Let's pray. And so they prayed and all of a sudden the sky opens and they hear this voice that says, I am that I am. And the Linfield student says, oh, see, that confirms it. And the young lady from George Fox says, no, if he went to Linfield, he would have said, I is who I is. <laughs> Come on. God, I got one. Amen. Just a little academic shaming there. But no, this school is wonderful and, and uh, I hope to develop great relationships that last a lifetime. But oftentimes we do use strange methods in order to communicate and connect with the Lord. I'm sure if many of you are familiar, familiar with the Indian, Indian parable where there are blind individuals who try to discern what an elephant is. Some fill up on the legs and they say, oh, this is a large tree. Another one fills on the trunk and say, oh, this must be a snake. Another one fills on the side of the elephant. Oh, it's obviously a wall. And what's interesting is that oftentimes what can be miserable is that we leave these individuals to walk away feeling incomplete in their context. The other thing that could be very miserable about a parable like this is not only do people walk away with an incomplete context and understanding on what they just engaged, but that we never ask the elephant, who are you? And oftentimes we treat Jesus like this. We come in and we fill around and we have these assumptions and these assessments. But the really interesting thing is that Jesus has made it clear who he is. We don't have to just fill around. We don't have to walk away with an assumption, oh, maybe he's this or maybe he's that. No, it's very clear who he is. And we see this in the scriptures. We see in Matthew 16, Jesus asked the disciples, he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah, some of the prophets. He said, oh, that's great, but who do you, people who you, you've been fellowshipping with me, you know me, correct, right? So who do you think I am? Peter says, well, I believe you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus says something so wonderful. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. We cannot expect our own earthly understandings to explain an, a holy and infinite God. And plus, unlike the elephant, as I said, God has revealed himself to the world. He desires 
for us to be in relationship with him. I've been married for 20 years now. I know I only look like I'm 20, so calm down, chill out. But if I walk around and say, yeah, I've been married for 20 years, me and my wife have a wonderful relationship, and they say, oh, so how much time do y'all spend together? I'm like, oh, no, we don't really, we don't really hang out. We're like, wait, hold up, what? Well, do you guys talk? Does she call you? Like, yeah, I mean, she calls. I don't really answer the call. I mean, she texts me, but I don't really, I leave her red. You know what I'm saying? I, eh. We're like, well, hold up. I heard she, like, she writes letters to you, and have you read those letters? No, nah, I let other people read them. I just ask other people what they think about her. I just, I mean, I really know her because I just talk to other people. I'm like, what do you think about my wife? And they're like, oh, she seems like a nice lady. I'm like, cool, that's good enough for me. That would be ridiculous. And oftentimes, this is how we treat our relationship with God. Jesus is consistently, the Christian life is consistently inviting us into intimate relationship. The gospel is a consistent invitation for Jesus to redeem every area of life. I don't care where you are in your life, what you've done, what experiences you've had, who've hurt you or who you may have hurt, what kind of faults you have, what kind of sin. There is no sin too egregious that the Lord can't redeem. There is no hurt that he can't heal. But he asked to follow after me. And this is what makes the Christian community so special, or at least this is what should make the Christian community so special. It is often said by people that people are one to the Christian community before they're actually even one to the Christian Christ. What kind of relationship, what kind of environment are we creating for people to be exposed to the love and the wonderful aroma of what it means to be saints who do good? But that invitation comes with devotion and authenticity, amen? The rich young ruler is an example of someone who saw Jesus in Matthew 19, 16, and he was in awe of the Christian community, although it wasn't called that at the time. These people who were following Christ, and he said, you know what? I want to be down with you, Jesus. How can I kick it with you? I mean, that's the show Baraka version. How can I be down? And Jesus does something really interesting. He's, he asks him a set of questions. He says, well, just do good. And he says, oh, I got that. I'm, my lifestyle's straight. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm doing all the right things. And Jesus does something that is really interesting. He says, well, go sell your possessions and give them to the poor. And he was distraught by that because the scriptures tell us that he's identified as a rich young ruler. So I think his identity was wrapped in being a person of significant status. And he wasn't willing to give that up in order to follow Jesus and be in relationship with him. This was a good guy. He probably went to a prestigious Quaker school, probably didn't smoke the reefer, probably wasn't out there putting down the ops, I'm trying to, this is me trying to connect with you guys, I know. <laughs> but are you willing to surrender your identity, the things that you hold so dear to you, in order to follow after Jesus? Last night I talked about my own struggles, racial identity, your political identity, your status. What is it that makes you who you think you are that you can't just give over to Jesus so that he can make you whole and new? God has made himself known, but oftentimes we would rather tertiary relationships and ask about him rather than to get to know him. And this 
oftentimes gives us the dangerous opportunity to create God in our own image. And so we paint God in the ways that we want to paint God. Some of us have experienced chaos and we want a peaceful Jesus. So we paint kind of like this hippie Jesus in flowers. Some of us want a warrior to vindicate us for all the wrong that's been done to us. So we paint a picture of a Jesus who's roided up and looks like a character out of God of War. Some of us want an intellectual Jesus who can bring resolution to all the philosophical and religious debates of the things that make us, uh, that we feel like we need to defend. And the list goes on and on. And these things are good, but the reality is Jesus is not just one singular thing. He says that I am. He says, I am the bread of life, which means he is a provider. He says that I am the light of the world in John 8, which means I am hope. He says, I am the gate for the sheep, which means I am a judge. He says, I am the good shepherd, which means I am a protector. He says, I am the resurrection and the life in John 11, which means I am a redeemer. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, which means I am the highest philosopher and healer. He says, I am the true vine in John 15, which means I am a connector and a community builder. And then he says, before Abraham was, I am in John 8, which means I am God. Jesus doesn't conform he transforms. Jesus isn't convenient, nor is his kingdom convenient, but he is good. And the Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, as I'm sure many of you are familiar with, there is an encounter with the children and Mr. Beaver on their way to meet Aslan. And Aslan, it says this, it says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Susan says, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And the, the beaver, Moxie says, safe? <laughs> Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Jesus isn't safe, nor is his kingdom safe, but he is good. He doesn't come just to fulfill all your needs. He comes to consume your life. He comes to take precedent. So we should feel around and, and we should try to make sense of him. And the gospel is not just some secluded house in a, in a city that is conceded to the war of good and evil. The gospel is a kingdom that is expanding across the world. Not a political kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. And if you're not building the kingdom, let me tell you something, you're building someone else's kingdom. Rodney Stark in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, he says, even though Rome destroyed Egypt or Israel and its temples and its city, it can be said that actually Israel conquered Rome. And this is because of the gospel doesn't just take residence in buildings. It is a kingdom that spreads despite persecution. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. But many people had good news. In Israel during that time when Jesus arrives, the good news of that particular era was the good news of Alexander the Great. 
the Greeks dominated culture. And they had philosophy, politics, sports, medicine, whatever. And Jesus interrupts this culture and he says, no, I have a greater understanding of the, I have a different gospel. There is a new kingdom that is greater than that of Alexander the Great. And it's not just to save you from hell. In John 17, it says, this is eternal life that they may know you. What does that mean? So that eternal life starts at the moment in which you come to true relationship and fellowship with God. And the gospel is redeeming all things, not just your personal piety. It's redeeming your relationship with other people. It is meant to, relate, to, 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 to reconcile your false view of yourself. But it's also, especially to us intellectuals in this room, college students who are going to do great things, it is here to also redeem how you view your work and your cultivating. How are you going to change systems in society? How are you going to work as unto the Lord? The Lord, the gospel message cares about that. All relationships. But some want the gospel just to be cool and relevant. You want the, the God is dope shirts or back in the day you used to have the Jesus is my homeboy shirt. And granted, yes, God is dope. And Jesus can potentially be your homeboy. I, that's questionable. I don't know. But yes, Jesus can be relevant and relatable, but he's also righteous and oftentimes countercultural. Some want Jesus to be all about justice, except when justice is, has its sights on us. It's like, oh, I want mercy now. Jesus, yes, he is a revolutionary, and he is a judge, but he's also a peacemaker. We see Jonah who... We can get caught up in this. God calls him to preach a gospel of forgiveness and redemption to the people of Nineveh. And Nineveh historically has done great evils to Jonah's people. And Jonah is like, I don't want to preach the gospel or I don't want to preach redemption to these people. They don't deserve it. And God says, no, go and preach. Because he knew, he said, man, if I preach, they will fall in love with you. Is our hope true reconciliation, or do we just want to exact punishment on people? Jesus does not come just to give us weapons and revenge. He says, weapons and revenge I don't give you but in this life, but what I do give you in abundance is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, forgiveness. Jesus demonstrates power by serving and dying for the benefit of other people. But oftentimes we want to weaponize Jesus for our own personal agenda. We often let our party politics to lord over biblical principles. I helped start an organization called the Ann Campaign, and the goal was to get Christians to let go of their political allegiance and fall more in love with Jesus. Because yes, being a part of politics is good and obviously we get things done through being part of parties, but you should never allow your principles to be subject to party politics. 
Christians, I would argue, are not even necessarily called to win, but we are called to die and to love our neighbors. Because oftentimes some people care for the poor, but they don't care about the corrupt systems that oftentimes create poverty. Sometimes people care about abortion, but they don't care about the life after that baby is born. Or vice versa, you care about police brutality, but we don't care about abortion. Sometimes we care about sex trafficking, but we are addicted to the industries that fuel the sex trafficking industry. We care about self-care and we talk about mental health, but all day we're... We care about overseas service, but we don't care about the imperialistic practices that oftentimes put those folks in the conditions in which they are. Jesus is more than just a lobbyist for our own selfish intentions. He is also Lord. He is calling us to surrender every aspect of our life unto him. And here he is, the I am. And he wants all of you, not just a few hours a week. He wants to consume every area of life. Oftentimes I used to say, you know, God first, family second, you know, maybe athletics when I used to be kind of good. But that sounds good. I mean, it's good rhetoric. But ultimately, God doesn't want to just be God first and everything falls in line. He says, no, I want to be first in your family. I want to be first in your school. I want to be first in your relationships. I want to be first in your athletics. I want to be first in everything you do. So when you wake up and you think about doing something, the, the, the WJD bracelets are real. And they say, you know what, how would God call me to interact in this particular sphere of life? Otherwise, if we don't operate like that, we are Christians in thought, but we are actually functioning atheists. God wants every aspect of your life because he is God. He says, I am your Passover and priest, your prophet and sovereign king. I am the new song you sing, the good shepherd and prince of peace. I am Lord over the galaxies, the powers and the principalities. I am head of the family, savior of all humanity. I am the perfect innocent martyr, the bread and living water. I am true image of the Father, the lamb that was led to slaughter. In the beginning, we were promised a lot of pain and fear, but in the end, he will wipe away every single tear. In the beginning, it is promised we all shall die, but in the end, he conquers death and the dead shall rise. In the beginning, it is clear that creation was duped, but in the end, he promises he makes all things new. Jesus is holy, he is God, and he wants to know you. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself and not allowing us just to figure you out, figure you out in the dark, but for making it clear you've given us a love letter for us to fellowship with you, for us to get to know you deeply. But let it not just be for us to get to know you, but let us figure out how do you want us to know ourselves? How have you challenged us to 
better love and serve others, but also how are we to treat the creation in which you gave us? Let the gospel influence every aspect of life. Let us commune with you and recognize that you are good. Amen. This video podcast is a production of George Fox Digital. To find more material like this, you can subscribe to George Fox Talks on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Our team really appreciates your feedback in the form of likes, comments, and reviews, and we'd really love to hear what you think. To sign up for our weekly email list and to keep up to date with the latest episodes and publications, you can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode.